there's never a shortage of water anywhere. You can carry a half a liter for most of the Appalachian Trail. So I, I had a base weight of nine pounds, but with food and water, my bag was um, about 20 at the beginning. Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason. Gosh, hope you're having a good holiday weekend so far. Hope you're enjoying some time uh, to yourself. Happy Labor Day for those um, celebrating it. Uh, but today's episode, we're talking all about the Arizona Trail. Um, you might think you missed the boat with through hiking in 2021, you know, if you wanted to get a trip in, but there are so many good options out there for wintertime hikes. Um, I'm not dead of winter with the Arizona Trail. You still get a lot of snow, but definitely not the same season as some of the other longer through hikes. So some of these off seasons provide a great opportunity for some trails that uh, don't get a lot of attention during the middle of summer when it's just too hot to be out there. And the Arizona Trail is a great option. Um, But today we're talking to Jacob Valhalla Myers, and he's going to tell us a little bit about where that trail name came from, Valhalla, um, with a little story towards the end. But it was such a pleasure talking to him. He's so, uh, he's a young guy. First big trip of his. Um, It was so cool to hear the experience, what he went through, some of the challenges, and I can't wait to get into it. But I did want to say, you know, before we jump in, this episode is brought to us by, well, brought to us by you. Uh, I just wanted to say thank you. Thanks for everyone listening. Uh, Thanks for helping this show, you know, continue for almost seven years now. We're doing six and a half years we've been doing this show. Lots of episodes. Can't wait to can't wait to keep it going. Keep it rolling, just like a through hike. You just one foot in front of the other, one episode after another. Um, but for all those listening, thank you. If you're out on an adventure right now, you can do this. If you're uh, you know, thinking about getting on an adventure or, or taking the leap to do that adventure, you can do this as well. Same advice. Or if you're just curious about this world of adventure, uh, welcome. You never know where one of these conversations might take you. I get emails all the time of people saying, you know, I wasn't even planning to do something, but I heard this episode and here I am finding myself on a plane, um, you know, halfway around the world getting ready to start an adventure. So you never know. So thanks for tuning in. Keep spreading the love and uh, keep getting out there and have some fun. All right, let's jump in. Jacob Valhalla Myers, how's it going? Going great, Mason. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, yeah. Where, where are you coming from? Um, I'm at my home office right now on lunch break. So this is a very rare occasion where I'm actually in like uh, a suit instead of like half naked playing in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, man! I, yeah, I saw your I saw you for on video for just a second, and I was like, he, he's dressed up nice. That's great. <laughs> I'm wearing a t-shirt just so you know. Um, (laughs) So what are you doing? Where where, where is your home office? Where, where in the country are you? Uh, I live in Western North Carolina, Southern Appalachian range. Um, It's a really small town called Cashers. We're actually technically a village. No kidding. Used to go up there every summer, every summer of my life. And we'd go all throughout uh, Pisgah and DuPont and obviously the, the great Smoky Mountains and, yeah, man. So, so are, were you born and raised there? Yep, whole life. 
So tell us about what, what was it like growing up there? Were you encouraged to get out? I mean, that is the land, like you mentioned in the email, land of waterfalls. I mean, there's so much beauty there. Did y'all take full advantage of it as a kid? Oh my God. Yeah. So Gorges State Park is my home park and uh, they're really famous for Rainbow Falls, which if anyone Googles it, you would see that photo, the photo of it flying over articles all over the internet. It's a famous waterfall. So the park was founded a year after I was born. I grew up playing back in there. Um, the entire area is actually a retirement age community. So there wasn't a lot of kids, which means a couple of us that were around in the neighborhood, um, instead of going to like a park or playing like Little League and stuff like that, we would climb trees or we'd uh, jump off waterfalls and go swimming and you know stuff that makes my mother really nervous. And I love to tag her in the Instagram posts. <laughs> Oh man, my mom's the same way. She, if if, if she could you know, turn back time and not not get me outside and doing these things, I I think she would. But uh, but you're right there, man. You grew up right in the heart of all that. That's really cool. So, so, so when when for you did your your sights start expanding out from Appalachia and, and uh, North Carolina into some of the experiences you've done so far? Um, well, I didn't, I didn't get off the East coast for the first time ever until last year. Oh man. And that was for the Arizona trail. Uh, first it was for Montana. So, um, I was bartending at the same place I've been working at since I was a kid before I got, you know, my big boy job and our, um, one of our bus boys, I was on the porch having a cocktail and he goes, I bet you won't go to Montana with me. I said, all right. <laughs> And he didn't even say why we were going, but I bought a plane ticket. He bought a plane ticket. We flew to Bozeman uh, in October. So it was right after the range burnt down. We went to Sacagawea Peak, which is the highest mountain in the Bridger Mountain Range. We went uh, over into the Gallatins. We played in Yellowstone. And when it's, that's what put the West on my radar. And immediately when I was out there, I was like, I need to get some mileage in and really see what the West is about. So naturally, the, the Arizona Trail came up. Man, that is that is so cool. It, I was the same way growing up. Like I had always been in the Appalachians, always been in that area, had never seen those mountains out West. And my first time in Colorado, it, it blew my mind. And so for you, I'm sure Montana is even more rugged and more jagged peaks i i'm sure you're you you just it was amazing i'm sure it was amazing it stole my heart completely i'm actually moving to bozeman this winter to train for a shackleton exped which uh, i guess we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit oh that is awesome and cool well, well so tell us about uh what, what were you doing were you, you you talk about getting some miles in were you already a backpacker at that point or had been, you know, you grew up around the Appalachian Trail. So was that was that part of what you knew how to do already? So I definitely knew how to play in the woods since we were so close to it. I didn't often have to sleep out there in the woods because I could always walk home. I mean, Gorgeous State Park wasn't even two miles from my my childhood home. So I played in the woods a lot. I knew the woods really well. I didn't have a ton of camping experience. I picked that up in college when I would go on rock climbing trips and we would stay at campgrounds and do that style of camping. In 20, uh, 2018, I went, um, there was some stuff that went down and I found myself homeless living out of my car as I was finishing up college. And when I came home, that 
um, that experience sort of opened my eyes to living with less things, material things. And I started hitting the trails again and I started riding again and I tackled the art lobe solo uh, for my very first hiking trip. And, and what is that? It's a 32 mile backcountry roller coaster here in Pisgah, uh, 10,000 feet of gain across 31, 32 miles. Goes back in Shining Rock, which is pretty rugged area. They don't allow any blazes, so you have to do a little bit of trail finding, and that was a wild experience in itself. No kidding, man, and, and, I, and that's so interesting that that be, being homeless for a while taught you that. And and I, I will say, you know, that's I've experienced a little bit of that to where it's like, well, if I can do that, you know, what else can I do when when I get back on my feet? Um, it sounds like you took the lessons from that and, and put them and put them to work instead of um, run completely running away from it. That's that's pretty cool. I think of it as a catalyst, and that's the, what's kind of what I've always referred to 2018 as. Like I'm a very very different person now than I was back then, and I think that experience was probably the starting point. So tell us how how did it you know. Obviously, going out to Montana and Yellowstone and, and seeing all that in Wyoming, how, how did that directly tie to the Arizona Trail? And, and what did uh, what what did it look like to get out there and start making that happen? How, how much time went by? How much planning and all that? Uh, I was a little over 200 miles into my Appalachian Trail through hike last year when the world ended. And so I got off and put all that on hold. Of course, that fall, I went to Montana for the first time, and I was starting to look for trails that were a little less known, something that wasn't one of the Triple Crowns, because I still didn't want the massive crowds, but I wanted some long mileage. Um, I wanted, you know, I just started to really taste that full Appalachian Trail long-distance backpacking experience when I lost it, so... I heard whispers about the AZT. I don't hear about it much here on the East Coast. And the more I looked into it, it's, you know, sometimes 100-mile stretches of flat desert. And I come from a rainforest, so what a contrast that would be. And mountains at 9,000 feet, where the biggest on the East Coast is floating right around seven. Like, the, it's a different planet completely. And uh, I planned for it. I, I said that I was going to do it in, I believe it was November, and then I really started looking at the logistics of it in January and then started acquiring my gear. So, so tell us about what it was like starting. Where, where does it start? What did that feel like? What was the climate like? And, and how were you feeling personally when, when you first set out on the trail? So when the shuttle, when the shuttle took off, I had this really bizarre moment. Um, of course, the, the, the West is obviously big because you're not buried in shrubbery and trees in the forest. So you can see how big the world is out there. And that hit me right in the gut. I'm standing right next to the, the Mexican border in Southern Arizona at uh, Coronado National Monument. And then um, I see the car drive away and it kicks up a cloud of dust and the entire world falls silent. And um, it's my first time in a desert environment ever. So Second time in the West, first time in a desert, it was it, it was really, really bizarre because I've never felt out of place anywhere in the outdoors before, anywhere on the East Coast. And 
Um, but being out there in the desert, I felt like I was put on a whole new planet and I was all alone, totally isolated. I didn't, I passed one couple that evening right before bed and no one before. That is wild, man. I've been to that area a few times, never right to the Southern terminus, but on some roads near there. And you know, you, like you said, you start at the Mexican border, really right up against the fence, if not very, very close to it. And from there, you know that you're uh, you're hiking all the way to the northern end of Arizona. I'm sure it just felt like being on Mars to you. Like you said, it's so open, so empty, but beautiful, and also, you know, just just such a such an amazing experience. So, tell us about the first few days. What were some of the experiences like? What did, what did you get into? What were some of the first challenges? So, uh, more water than I've ever carried in my life. I was, I started carrying five liters, um, because I was really nervous about water. I, growing up in the rainforest, I might as well be a human salamander. I say that all the time. I, there's never a shortage of water anywhere. You can carry a half a liter for most of the Appalachian trail. So I, I had a base weight of nine pounds, but with food and water, my bag was, um, about 20 at the beginning and I'm going up Miller peak huffing and puffing because my lungs really didn't like the dry desert air. It was filling with dust. And the, by the end of the first week I had my first taste of sun poisoning and that just molly whopped me. I mean, I was, I was taking a, a knife at the end of the first week and scraping, scraping bubbles of fluid off the back of my calves that were seizing up. Good gracious. And, and how did you, what, what, what was that feeling like? So you were probably pretty burnt, but what was, what was sun poisoning like? Uh, for me, it was, um, it was muscle spasms. It was chronic dehydration. So, it, it, you know, as a feeling, it's just kind of like not firing on all cylinders. Mentally, I'd feel pretty strong and ready to move. And then my body would maintain maybe three quarters of the pace that I was trying to for that little while until I really got dialed in with my water intake, forcing myself to chug uh, to camel up at every water source. And, you know, there, there was a steep learning curve to it. And it, in hindsight, we, we had a good amount of support this year because there was this was a record year for hikers on the AZT. So there were definitely angels willing to help. But once or twice, I put myself in situations where if someone hadn't offered me some water, things could could have started to get pretty ugly pretty quick. Golly. So, so the record number, what, what was that due to? Everyone that I spoke to had the same stories I had. Um, there was a lot of people with PCT tags that um, were nervous about the crowds in the PCT. There were a couple of AT no-goes since – the entire planet all of a sudden has a love for the outdoors. It became harder to find less known spaces. So there was a lot of folks like me who wanted some of the solace uh, or some of the solitude, sorry, that the, that the desert provides that a lesser known trail in Arizona provides. And so um, that was the majority of what it was, was folks not wanting to touch the, the triple crown or on the flip side of that was people training for the Triple Crown and using the Arizona Trail as a training ground. Did you get that solitude that you were looking for despite the crowds? 
Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I say that it was a record year and you definitely met people, but there was an, there was an air about the community this year where everyone was very much hiking their own hike. So I spent, I spent maybe five or six days with the couple I had met on the first day. Um, by sheer coincidence, we ran into each other at a trail angel camp at mile 123. And then we did the Saguaro National Park, not together, but we saw each other every day after that. And then there was a group of a group of three that I, I really, really enjoyed spending time with. If I had to call them uh, my tramley, that's what they would be. We met at Roosevelt. It was this burning, burning hot day. The ridge is exposed and was burnt out from last year's fire season. So we all sort of got to know each other doing a moonlight hike out of Roosevelt, which is uh, 10 miles and cumulatively, as you ride the roller coaster, about uh, four and a quarter thousand feet of gain. So that was a really cool experience, hiking on a ridge under moonlight, getting to hear their stories. Other than that, completely alone. Wow, that is that is awesome. Now, now I, I know that 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 those were some surprises in the sense of being busy, but also feeling that aloneness. I know. I know the other thing that that was um, probably new for you was was the weather and that aspect in, in the heat. You talk about Saguaro National Park, just famous for those Saguaro cactus. Um, but you also faced snow on some of the mountains. You had snow to trek through, and in those late winter conditions, was that was that surprising to you, or was that uh, expected? So, so Saguaro is one of two places on the trail you need a permit to camp at. It's that, and then the Grand Canyon. I got up just outside of Saguaro that morning, and to see if I could, I wanted to clear the entire park in one day which means going up and over Micah Mountain. So I start in the morning, 7 a.m., frost all over my tent, and I'm sh- um, it's not shivering cold, but there's ice. So pack up, I get moving, temps rise, there's like a 11, maybe 12-mile water carry as you go up the mountain. The day heats up, the sun starts bearing down, so I woke up cold, now I'm sweating hot and running out of water. And I hit the top of the mountain, and there's two feet of snow. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I signed the registry that night as I got to the, the terminus of Saguaro National Park. And I signed it. And I said, uh, I think I've experienced every human emotion in one day. You you, you wrote that you mentioned uh, uh, that, that was probably one of your top most difficult days of hiking ever. Oh, for sure. Elevation gain is something that I really enjoy. I mean, I don't have to go terribly fast, but I like I like standing atop a summit and looking down where I came from. And it was the whole thing of it was the perfect mix of a frozen desert, a hot desert, walking through snowpack, walking through loose snow. You'd follow tracks that went off trail, so I had to I had to look at um I had to look at the GPS and get myself back on route. Night was falling, and so um there was a there's a ridge that you're walking on. It's this razor thin switchback on the backside of Micah with 75 foot cliffs. And if you if the snow decides to wash away under your feet, you're going off the cliff. And Good gracious. it was so much in just one day. I think it was 24, maybe 25 miles. Like all of that packed into just a marathon, basically. 
Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. Unbelievable. Golly. So, so, so after that, what was, what was the trail like? Did it, did it become slowly become something else in the sense of terrain or scenery or was it more or less similar until getting to the Grand Canyon? Well, there's a distinct difference from the low desert and the high desert. You'll, you'll come out on top of the Mogollon Rim, which I think it's 500 miles long. It's basically this thousand foot cliff that shoots out of the earth that separates the low desert from the high desert. So you leave all like all the, the sandiness behind. And when you're up on the Mogollon, you're in, um, you're in these evergreen forests. You're seeing elk. There's a couple of uh, wolves that are left behind and the terrain shifts there. But most of the of the low desert, aside from a couple of big mountains we climbed, was exactly what you'd think of when you hear the word desert. Jeez! So, so tell us a tell us a story from the experience, something that maybe maybe surprised you, or or a really good day after that really bad experience. What was what was maybe a lesson you learned out there, kind of early on in the experience? Uh, as far as lessons go. Um, one thing that I learned is that if I was going to continue doing the trip solo, I would need to really hone in on what it took to take care of my body. I, I took a rest day in Oracle with that couple that I was speaking about earlier, and she really beat into my skull that I needed to start stretching in the morning. I needed to start rewarding my body for putting up these big mileage days. Towards the end, I was doing 30 plus every single day. And so, um, you know, Coming off of that, now that I'm home, forcing myself to do a better job at taking care of me, even when I don't feel like it, has been really important. Oh, man, absolutely. That's a great lesson to learn. Learn young as well. What were some of the biggest differences to you, maybe the less obvious differences between desert hiking and growing up in a rainforest, like you said? You'll definitely put up some quicker mileage in the desert. Mm. What what does that do to? Uh, well, just the 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 long flat walks can be they can you can definitely up your pace. Whereas in the mountains, you're always going to have some versatile up and downs. Um, but even in those flat tracks, sand is never just sand. There's packed sand. If it rains all the sand is going to start grabbing into your boots and weighing your boots down, like literally adding pounds to your shoes. So as you're navigating washes, you're going to move slow. If you're navigating the wet sand, you're going to move slow. And everything that's ever going on is entirely weather dependent. I mean, in Appalachia, if it's raining out, you may move a little bit slower because of mudslides, but all in all, there's root cover and there's enough stable ground all over the place where it won't affect your pace too much. There's some days in the desert where I was slogging through what I refer to as moon sand. Oh my gosh, moon sand. That's awesome. So so what what were you what would you say was easier about being out in the desert? Obviously getting the mileage, you know, maybe not what is easier. You mentioned some of that, but but what what did you enjoy the most? There is something so cool. I remember this first 
coming out of Saguaro. So as you stand on top of Mount Micah, you're literally a mile above the ground, the valley floor. So wow. looking, yeah, looking an entire mile down to the earth. And then as you look beyond, you can see the next mountain range, which uh, on the backside of it, it's called Oracle Ridge, uh, Mount Lemon, sorry. So you can see Mount Lemon. You're literally seeing your next two, for some people, three or four days of walking from one spot. You can't do that in Appalachia. So as I'm walking across an entire day and a mountain just gets bigger and bigger and bigger as I'm getting, as I'm approaching it, like, that was so sick. You can see things for such a, such a long amount of time, such a long ways away. I, re- I remember biking to the San, San Francisco Peaks and Flagstaff one time, biking towards them and seeing them two or three days out on a bike even. And getting closer and closer and realizing, oh my gosh, these are, it'll drive you crazy too because things are so far away and you see them for multiple days and at a walking pace, it's even more extreme. So I'm sure there was part of that that was, that was also challenging. The Grand Canyon, other than, um, other than walking from Mount Micah to Mount Lemon, um, the Grand Canyon is the only other one that offered that where you're, you're like 3,000 feet of descent and maybe two hours into your walk before you can even see the Colorado River. And then you got to get down to the river. And, and then, you know, you see the highest ridge in the distance and you're, you're thinking to yourself, wow, that's really high. And that's only the halfway point of as high as you're going to climb out of the Grand Canyon, you know, that same day. Jeez, that is, that is wild. So, yeah, tell us about getting to the Grand Canyon. What was it like getting there? I, I've only biked up to it. And I've never, I have hiked to the bottom, haven't hiked across. Um, but I mean, that's such a bucket list item for so many people. That's such a huge focus for for you. W- w- would you consider that a highlight of the trip? And, and tell us about approaching it. The, the night before, so I actually met a woman as I was doing the urban route in Flagstaff who had a room at the at the Grand Canyon Hotel that night or the lodge that night she put me up the night previous um so I took that evening off and really explored the southern rim got a saw a bunch of amazing views and got really excited for the next day and then I went to do a single day rim to rim that's what I wanted to do the entire trip and honestly by the time I got down to the down to the Colorado River something had happened in my left ankle where it swelled into the lining of my gaiter and my gaiter started cutting off blood flow to my foot. And I started, I started moving so slowly and I was in a kind of pain that I'd never felt before. Um, and so coming down was amazing, but it took, it took probably another four hours before the pain would cut off from my foot. I, I took a little time off and sat in the Colorado River trying to get the swelling down, put my foot above my head, popped a couple ibuprofens. Like I could not get the swelling to stop. So I ended up ta- completely untying my shoe, like taking the laces out of my shoe, and I climbed out of the Grand Canyon like that. It, it sort of marred my climb back out. It, it really wasn't enjoyable until I was almost to north, the North Kaibab, that's the Northern Rim, um, right about there when I could stand in one spot, 
see the see the southern rim. I could see uh, Mount Humphreys behind the Grand Canyon in the distance. Like seeing the ground I had covered brought it all back, and it was a good end of the day. But I was beaten up bad in the canyon. Do you know what happened? My working theory is in the same way that if you tie your shoes tight uh, when you fly in a plane and then when a plane lands, your feet swell. I think something to do with the quick elevation drop, because you drop almost a mile in elevation uh, as you descend into the canyon. I think that's what made it swell. And then maybe I ignored it too long and I let it, um, I interrupted the blood flow too long that it really messed up my foot. But uh, I'm not certain. Jeez, man, I, I'm sorry to hear that. So, so, did it did it heal as you as you kept going, or did you have to take some time off? Because because you're like almost right at the end, right there. Yes, uh, seventy miles from the finish at oh, that. Seventy point. miles. Wow. So, what did you do? Just slog through the rest. I I what did I listen to? I listened to a lot of Avenged Sevenfold. Curse the sky <laughs> lot. I cried a little bit. <laughs> hey, that's perfect. That's what you got to do. Something I don't hear, actually, I'm Googling it right now. Something I don't hear about a lot is the finish line of the Arizona Trail. Is is there anything there to signify? what What is that like to get there? Because, you know, on, on, on a through hike, typically, you know, you know, you got Katahdin uh, on the AT or you've got the international border on the other two major trails. But what, what about the Arizona Trail? So to, the Northern Terminus is at the at the Utah border. There's a little campground in there. Uh, it's not it's not anything terribly amazing, but it does go from the from your typical high desert and Grand Canyon-esque area to this really bizarre, super soft red sand. Uh, there's there's an obelisk that marks the northern terminus, but I think as far as that goes, it's really one of those the journey is the destination type things. Um, other than the phenomenal sunset that I got right as I was finishing the trail. I, mean, I finished, um, I took my last step on the AZT at peak golden hour. You, you can't beat that, man. You cannot beat that. That is awesome. H- how long did it end up taking you, all, all told? Uh, all in all, I it took me 39 days. Um, that includes this really weird four-day break I had to take because the post office lost my replacement sleeping pad. I took a couple days off for that that I didn't necessarily have to. Um, but on my days off, a buddy invited me out to go canyoneering in Sedona. So I was dangling like 200 feet over a canyon on ropes instead of on trail for a couple days, which is the coolest zero I've ever had. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't It wasn't all lost. That is, uh, that is what's important. You know, and on adventures, you know, I'm definitely one for that. Take side adventures. There's, you know, mountains to climb, there's canyons to, to descend and, and there's, there's so much to do, um, when you go through these places. So I'm a huge advocate for, for adding, adding micro adventures into it, you know? So I'm, I'm glad you did that. So you finished the Arizona trail, then what would you just go back home? Um, how did your process transitioning back into, uh, normal life? What was that like? <laughs> I, uh, I came home and got a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> I did not transition well. Um, I don't have anyone in my immediate circle that does any of this. And so everyone kind of asked, like, 
oh hey how was your trip how you know your vacation and like um it's a little different from that but um but overall good i started throwing myself back into fitness i'm currently training to run my first official ultra i ran an unofficial ultra last year to raise money for one of the trail angels on the at uh odie from the hiker yearbook and that was crazy because i didn't know that um I didn't, I've never, I was never a very athletic kid. And then last year I jogged slash walked 78 miles straight, um, which was crazy. So now I'm back home and I'm training full time first off to run my first 100 miler. And then I'm going on an expedition this winter with Shackleton. What, tell us about Shackleton. What, what is that? Shackleton is a expedition company well it's a clothing company that started to do expeditions they're named after ernest shackleton who as far as the the english are concerned is one of the greatest expeditioners on planet earth oh i was reading a study yesterday ben saunders um, who is another incredible arctic expeditioner all these guys explore um the antarctic it's that kind of expedition ben saunders being a big name in the community and he said that there was a study put out um, that measured the physical limits of human endurance. And then someone relocated the data against Shackleton's crew. Shackleton has this incredible story where his ship, the Endurance, crashed and the entire crew was stranded alone on an Antarctic island for two years. And the what it what it took for all of them to survive superseded what the scientific study said, um, was humanly possible by like 300,000 kilocalories. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, and not one single person of that crew perished during that time either, which is so remarkable. Um, I, oh my God, I, I could talk about that story all day. So, so, I, so you're, so this company is named after Shackleton, of course, and they're doing expeditions. Well, tell, tell us about, you know, how, how, what, what are you doing with them? So, they offer levels one through five, one being polar skills. It's more theoretical. You'll get in the field, but you'll sleep inside most nights to get a foothold. Um, through some through something amazing that happened, I'm able to skip straight to level three. And so we're going to Fence, Norway, and we're going to be pulling sleds that contain all of our gear for a week's worth of survival. We're crossing the Hardinger Jokulin Glacier. I've been practicing saying that for a week now. Hey, that was pretty good. <laughs> I I don't know if you said it right, but it sounded great to me. <laughs> Thanks, man. Um, we're it's one of the largest glaciers in Norway. So this winter we're going to be crossing that on foot as a team, and the exped is being led by Wendy Searle, who's the seventh woman in history to walk unsupported, unassisted. Um, across Antarctica to the South Pole, and then Lewis Rudd. Oh, maybe I got her statistic wrong. Uh, Lewis Rudd was the second man in history to walk unsupported and unassisted across all of Antarctica. Oh my gosh! Sounds like sounds like some great adventure sports podcast interviews right there. Um, <laughs> that is awesome. So, what is your hope with polar exploration? Do you have do you have greater hopes for that or greater goals for that? There's a particular trip I have in mind. There's a, a series of trails that I want to link together. No one has ever done all of them in their entirety. 
Um, I don't want to get too deep into that right now because it's still a couple years away before I'm ready to attempt. But the the skills that I'll be able to gain from this exped are going to be vital in in me being able to pull that off. The all in all, that journey that journey is going to take about two years to execute. So that is fantastic. That is awesome. Awesome to hear. Well, 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 gosh, is there anything else that you'd like to share about the Arizona Trail or about your, your experience doing that and also about your experiences that, that you are aspiring to now? As far as the AZT goes, I did this on the Appalachian Trail too. You can get sort of nervous as a trail starts and glue yourself to the first people that you come across. Um, and they could be amazing people, but they may not be out there for the same same reasons as you. You you may mar your experience by living your hike uh, through someone else's experience, doing the mileage they want to do, starting and stopping at the times that they want, going to the towns that they want. I think what the AZT taught me that I didn't know when I was attempting the Appalachian Trail was that uh, just how important it is for me to find what I want to do and what I want to get out of these trips um, because I'm crossing all the mileage on my own two feet. So I need to get as much out of it as I can. Um, so don't, for anyone who's starting in through hiking, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't latch on to the first people you meet just because you aren't confident enough as a backpacker yet, you know, a- explore what there is out there to do and really find the way that you like to hike so that you can hike your own hike. Jacob, that's some that's some seriously solid advice because it, it stems from fear, which usually there's a threshold to fear to just get out there. But then you get out there and you're in it, and, and it's easy to succumb to some of that fear and insecurity, like you said, or that lack of confidence. And you you can, yeah, mar your experience and make it less impactful by getting tied into somebody who who might not be out there for the same reasons, just like you said. Well, tell us before we go. I want to ask you what is what is the deal with your uh, your trail name? Tell us about the story behind that. Um, my brother. So, I have Nordic heritage, and my my best friend. I refer to him as my brother. He was deployed on a Middle Eastern tour when I left on the AT. Um, there, that was right about the time things were popping off with Iran, and it was getting kind of scary. And as much as I could call him, I would, and for a while I couldn't. Every time that we'd, uh, before we get off the phone, we would just say Valhalla or bust. Everyone around me is saying Katahdin or bust. And it finally became this funny, like Viking thing where I just became Valhalla, which is one of the places you can go in the Viking afterlife. Valhalla or bust. I love it. Jacob, man, I I really appreciate you being on and telling us about your experience. I'm excited for you. Um, and the, the, uh, some of the adventures that you've got coming up are, do you think more through hiking or more trails are in your future in the sense of you know, kind of some of the more traditional ones like the AT or are you focused on polar, polar experiences now? AT 2023. Hey, okay. 2023. All right. Planning ahead. You can wear a suit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That might add to my base weight. It definitely would. It definitely would. I don't know if anyone's done it though. Oh, it was the driest on record. I don't think we've said that yet. Um, when I started, they had 0.0 measurement of precipitation all the way up until almost the end of March. Driest year on record in all of recorded history. Holy cow. 
<laughs> how did how did everyone fare? Was everyone okay, or did that become a serious issue? Trail Angels, man, I'm telling you, they do not get the appreciation they deserve. Water caches every every ten miles, you would find at least one gallon, and everyone was really, um, they were really trying their best not to take more than they needed so that everyone would be okay. Man, I tell you what, we've never done an episode on it, but uh, a Trail Angel interview would be awesome. Because, here's why, because people listen to this show and they're like, you know, aspire to do these things, but they might not be in the right p- place in life to do a whole through hike. Even, even you know, a month-long through hike like the AZT, it's like, they might not be there, but they might be able to dedicate some weekends, summers or weekends during the hiking season to to help out in some way, you know, be a trailheads or whatnot. So m- maybe there are people out there that could, that could do this more if we helped raise some awareness about it. That'd be pretty cool, actually. That's a great idea, man. That could do so much for the community, too, getting everyone else involved. Sweet. Well, shoot, that gave me a new idea for an episode. So thank you for that too. But thanks again. I'll let you get back to work and and I'll let you know when this comes out. Good stuff. Yeah. I appreciate talking to you, Mason. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast link is in the show notes and also if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure so if you know someone please reach out email us at info at adventure sports and until then get out there and have some fun <laughs>